Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation at 11,000 feet. With your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome to the Oxygen Star podcast, where we bring you adventures, books, and conversations, your ABCs from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy. I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good morning. Good morning. So, Christopher, I know you had a big adventure over the weekend. Want to tell us about it? Sure. Uh, You know, um, we did have a big adventure over the weekend. My partner, Wills, and I have this kind of thing where if we don't have anything planned for a day, we wake up in the morning and we go, let's like pick a canyon, pick a mountain, and go. That's great. Good strategy. Especially in this part of the country, right? Yep. So this particular day, we decided to go up to the bristlecone pine forest in the White Mountains. For listeners who may not be familiar with what bristlecone pines are, they are some of the oldest living things on the planet. They're really kind of a gnarly, beautiful pine tree that grows really, really slowly. And in fact, over time, parts of the tree actually die off and just like a segment of the tree from the roots up to certain branches will remain green and have bark on it. And that's kind of how it survives over time. Cool. I didn't know that. Isn't that kind of awesome? Very neat. And as the other parts of the tree die off, the, you know, it's leaves exposed wood, which is really hardy and it's got all sorts of beautiful golden hues, browns, reds, blacks. And because the tree is growing in an, in an area that's exposed to a lot of elements, it gets kind of a gnarled effect over time. So these have become really complicated, beautiful things to sit and gaze at, frankly. So um, that's part of the reason you go visit the bristlecone pines. Yes. <laughs> so It's a good reason. One of the reasons is an adventure is we decided to go to the Patriarch Grove of bristlecone, which is in the southeast corner of Mono County, one of the most remote sections of the county. It actually is very close to Nevada. And you don't go directly there. You actually have to go way south into Inyo County to the White Mountains, which are on the eastern side of the county. Right. And drive up through the White Mountains on this really windy, narrow road that sometimes is not even two car widths wide. So do you hike to the Patriot? Is there any hiking involved or is this all driving so that this you is, did? This is the beauty of it. It's an adventure getting there, but you drive <laughs> up to the adventure. Okay. Um, so yeah, you kind of, you know... It, it, it's uh, driving up through the mountains. You kind of very quickly go up to the top of the White Mountains, and you're driving along the crests okay. to around all the different mountains and through the valleys. Um, Must you, be a beautiful view. It is incredible vistas. There are vistas off to the west where you see the Sierra Nevada, and you're up very high. Much of the road, when you get up to the Bristlecone, you're at 11,000 feet like our podcast. (laughs) So um, you're kind of almost eye to eye level with many peaks in the Sierra Nevada when you look west. And if you turn and look east, you're looking out across the state of Nevada, across the mountain basin range that extends across into Utah and the the states on the other side. Wow, It's really, really beautiful. And it really is kind of a humbling experience. The road is, again, very narrow and windy. It's a mountain road, so you have to drive slowly. And just take it all in as you're getting there. In a four-wheel drive, no less. (laughs) Yeah, that's helpful. You know, the first time we drove up, we drove up in our pickup truck, which is four-wheel drive. 
And, you know, if you're not used to driving mountain roads with no guardrails and lots of steep drop-offs, it can be kind of a white knuckler getting up just to the first grove, which is paved the entire way. (laughs) The first grove is Shulman Grove. There's a big visitor center there from the Forest Service. The bristlecone pines are part of the Indian National Forest. Um, It's a great center. There's a lot of information on what the pines are the other vegetation in the area and just the animal life and there are interpretive programs and lots of great trails you can go off of and in fact the oldest identified bristlecone pine is in that shulman grove oh wow it's called methuselah and you kind of know the area it is but they don't identify methuselah specifically because they don't want people to come and attack it you know take pieces of it you know flock there and destroy the environment around it which is something i kind of agree with and which you see a lot of in the eastern sierra Um, you kind of have to know as you go but the patriarch grove which is much smaller is actually 12 miles north and you leave the paved road and go on a very narrow windy dirt road and part of the adventure comes up because the first sign you see as you hit the dirt road is you better have your tires like well cared for and check your spare because there's a lot of rocks you know it's it's a dirt road there's a lot of shale up there um a lot of ups and downs so you want good tires and brakes and if it's um recently having been rained down or something like that you generally want a four-wheel drive vehicle just for safety reasons because the road does get kind of rutted and what have you sure but again you're just up there on the top of these mountains driving really slowly in some of the most beautiful scenery it's very different than the Sierra. There's not big forests of tall pine trees, mm-hmm. big granite rock outcrops. It's a much more subtle environment up there, but there's a lot of like mountain magnolia. There's a lot of, um, you know, sagebrush and pinion pines and juniper nice. as you go up until you reach the bristlecone pine area. When you actually do get to Patriarch Grove, which is, you know, it's again, it's kind of like a white knuckle drive if you've never done it before, <laughs> but you can do it. Um, you're at 11,300 feet. So you get out of the truck and you just want to take it easy, right? You want to take a breath. There's, I think like 35% less oxygen Mm -hmm. at that height than there is at sea level. So if you're not used to it, make sure you got your water and what have you. The trail is only a quarter of a mile long. It's a small grove and it's a loop. And there are like interpretive signs as you go around of the different types of trees and what have you and a lot of benches. So you can kind of sit and just gaze and appreciate nature. These kind of gnarled, wonderful bristlecone pines are growing out of this white dolomite soil. It almost looks like a giant bonsai, you know, Wow. It's really just gorgeous and humbling in a way as you gaze on something that's been alive for thousands of years and in fact it's called the patriarch grove because the biggest bristlecone is there and it's called the patriarch and that one actually is labeled and were a lot of people there that's the other beauty of it you know it's a really small grove it's not terribly easy to get to the Mm -hmm. parking lot is small so there were not a whole lot of people there so again that's kind of just adds Adds to to the mystical part of it and you know it is so exposed up there. It, it's also, um, you know, the bristlecone pines are also an area where people go to look at the night sky because oh, you're high up. Okay. It's uninterrupted vistas of mm-hmm. like just stargazing and seeing the Milky Way and what have you. So there's 
going to visit that part of the county is almost a different experience than the sure. adrenaline rush you get from going, you know, to go hiking up to a lake or paddleboarding or right. skiing mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. It's just very, very different. And then you get back in your truck and, <laughs> and you drive, drive very carefully back <laughs> down the road, back down the mountain. It's, you know, we started from Bishop and it's a two hour drive from Bishop. Okay. Um, and you get back down to the valley and you're like, man, that was incredible. I need a beer. So you awesome. go and have a beer and that wraps up your adventure. So that sounds like a great one. I want to go. You're inspiring me to go to all these different places. Well, you've been to all these places, right? I have not been to Patriarch Grove. I've okay. been through the Bristlecone Pine yeah. Forest on, I have to admit, on my way to Las Vegas, but <laughs> um, I have never stopped and you know, taking time to appreciate it. And it, this just sounds beautiful. You guys would appreciate it a lot. It's yeah. not, again, the drive up there is not for everyone. It's mm-hmm. a very careful drive, but it's a safe drive if you're a responsible yeah. driver. So Sounds great. Yeah. So um, I look forward to what your next adventure is going to be in the upcoming podcast, right? Well, I can't wait to share. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what it's going to be myself. <laughs> Okay, listeners, so um, we'll be taking a break right now. And just like I just said, at 11,000 feet, you take it easy, take a breath, just catch yourself. We'll be right back. Trees, they grow high and the leaves, they do grow green. Many is the time my true love I've seen. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B, the book section of our podcast, the the, the reading part of our yes, ABCs. The, the literacy advocacy part. You know, it's probably a good thing to remind our listeners. It's been a few episodes. Like, I'm the county librarian, so books and reading are really important to me, and you are the... County superintendent of schools and former teacher, principal, and reading is a huge part of my life. And that's part of the the purpose of this podcast is to interweave like reading and literacy and the activities yep. and the people of the county that bring it to life. So absolutely, let's talk about books. Stacey, you have a book you want to talk about. Yes, I do. So this week we're focusing on what we're currently reading. And I, the book I want to focus on today is called Bear Town by Frederick Bachman, Swedish author, but he writes in English. So <laughs> it's helpful. Um, and I just finished it actually. And I really, really loved it. And I came upon it very, I couldn't sleep one night and I picked up my iPad scrolling through all these books that are downloaded on a shared Kindle app Mm -hmm. and saw Beartown and started reading it and immediately got hooked because it takes place in a small rural community in Sweden. Mm Mm-hmm. But it just resonated immediately with me, the similari- similarities to being here in Mammoth in Mono County and being a small rural community. There were immediate, immediate parallels. And in this book, the background is hockey. Hockey forms kind of the, the commonality 
in this town. Everybody okay. is hockey obsessed. <laughs> but it's not about hockey. It That just forms the background. Mm-hmm. The book's really about all the different types of relationships that we form, you know, mm-hmm. within an, within a nuclear family, in in and between families and neighbors, in within a hockey team, mm-hmm. you know, within within the neighborhood bar where everybody congregates, you know, how how do all those relationships evolve and impact each other and how those relationships stand to impact decisions that we make in our mm-hmm. daily lives and mm-hmm. You know, living in a small town, you find that everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. This is true, and right? Some things are universal. Yes. And, you know, as much as that can be a burden sometimes, it's a good thing too. Mm-hmm. And because everybody knows what's going on, everybody helps each other when right. when you need that help. So... um. I found I just found that whole idea of those relationships um, really intriguing, and then the other thing I really enjoyed about this book was the way the author writes. Mm-hmm. You know, he uses shorter sentences. He's he's descriptive, but not overly. He doesn't overdo it. Right. And as he goes along the journey of this town, telling this story. He interjects, it's all third person, okay. right? So the author knows everything. Right, right. And he in, interjects these little like homilies, you, these, these little lessons mm-hmm. to take away. And and this I, is a novel. This is a novel, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I really, I really enjoyed that actually mm-hmm. because a lot of those little lessons that he talks about um were fodder for me in my life, you know, as in all the different roles that I play, I could take away little bits of, of those and apply them to my life. And, um, and so I I really enjoyed that. And as I researched it, he's written a lot of other books. He's Mm -hmm. also, you know, a man called Ove or Mm -hmm. Ovi, Mm -hmm. um, was a really popular book that everybody was reading, I think about two years ago. Um, I have not read that book, but it. What I found out is that this book, Bear Town, was written in a very different style from all of his other books. So mm-hmm. I'm a little bit intrigued to kind of read some of his other books and see how different, how those vary. But. So it's interesting, you know, novels around small towns, which are often very character driven, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an incident that happened, or, right. or an incident around a person, and then it's about how these people interact around personalities yes. and what have you. Um, are often kind of written, you know, very soapy, you know, like Peyton Place kind of thing. But what you're describing sounds very different. It's it's really not. It's really f- more matter of fact. And, mm-hmm. and perhaps maybe in, I don't want to sound sexist, but maybe in the hands of a female author, mm-hmm. a story like this might have gotten too soapy. But maybe... You a, could say that. I can't say okay. that. Okay. So I don't want to offend the women out there. We just lost half our audience. I know. Okay. I'm so, don't mean it that way, but you know, I just think he handled it handles this story in a in a very matter of fact manner, and there is a significant incident mm-hmm. uh, that takes place. I'm not. I don't want to sure. sp- give any spoilers. So um, that takes place, and and the way that he handles it, I think, is just really delicate and 
beautifully described and done and you know this just hit so many notes for me sure you know as a as a as a teacher as a parent as a leader of an organization in a rural setting in a rural setting it it just checked all those boxes for me where i could really relate yeah it sounds like a lot of people who live in rural settings could relate to this story um you know, especially as we were talking before the podcast, you know, when you live in a big urban setting, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of opportunity to get away from things in that are difficult or challenging. But in a small town, you kind of got to work through it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. In a, in a bigger metropolitan area, you can almost hide mm-hmm. more easily than you can in a small town. Yeah. And um that, that becomes apparent in this story as well. And what was the title and author again? The title is Town, and the author is Friedrich Bachman. So what about you, Christopher? What are you reading? Well, I'm reading a couple of books at the moment. Actually, I'm reading a lot of books at the moment. You just always who I am. have a million books going. <laughs> Which sometimes is a frustration because it takes a long time to finish some of them. But I picked a couple. One of them that I did finish, the one I'm about to finish today. They're both very current books. They come out September of 2019. So they're very new to our listeners. The first one that I'm going to talk about is Patty Smith's latest memoir called Year of the Monkey. Patty Smith, most of you will already know who she is, but for a few of you who don't, she is a well-known as a poet and a punk rocker. She was really came to the forefront in the seventies in New York city. Um, it has always been known as just a very lyrical and poetic writer, even in her music. She started out as a bookseller and is a very well-read, very well-educated, um, and fell in with a scene of some really influential people in New York in the late sixties, early Mm -hmm. seventies. She took some time off when she got married and had kids and moved to Michigan. And then her husband died and she ended up going back to New York and falling back into the punk scene. And she's kind of had, you know, for the last couple of decades, a real resurgence, um, you know, worldwide, both as a writer and a performer. What a dichotomy, you know, to have somebody be like this famous influential punk rocker. Yeah. And then knowing that she is a a poet and and a mom. Yeah, I, she it's totally just, is. That just and blows one of me the away. Nicest people you will ever meet. I got to meet her at a, at the library when I worked in New York. Mm-hmm. And um just really sweet and down to earth. There's very little pretension. And that comes across in her writing too. So this book, The Year of the Monkey, it's a slim volume. She had written she's probably most well known. Um, for Just Kids, her memoir that won the National Book Award nearly a decade ago, I think it was 2010. Um, It's about her relationship with Robert Maplethorpe in the 60s and 70s when they were both young and starting out. Um, She then wrote another kind of short memoir, and then this is the third one, and it really focuses on one segment of her life, one year, um, which happens to be the year of the monkey, 2016, um, I thought maybe she got a monkey. <laughs> well, I'll let her. you read the book and you can <laughs> okay. find out for sure right. whether that's true or not. <laughs> but it's also the year, you know, again, without giving anything away, this is nonfiction, it's a memoir, so I'm not going to give away any really major things here. It's the year she turned 70. So it was a poignant year for her. Two very important people in her life, Sandy Perlman, who was, um, you know, again, another one of these influential rock managers, producers from the 70s. He worked with the Blue Oyster Cult, Black Sabbath, a few others, um, was a good friend of hers. And he had um, um, a medical incident 
at the beginning of this year, she had planned to spend New Year's Day with him and couldn't because he was in the hospital. Uh, and so she's ruminating on partially this issue, you know, a longtime friend getting older, facing, you know, the end of life. And then also another longtime friend of hers, Sam Shepard, the playwright, an actor who she had had an affair with when they were both really young. He was married to someone else in the early 70s. Wow. But they remained friends their entire life. And she went to visit him quite a few times, apparently, in his last couple of years to help him work on manuscripts and what have you. And so um, she's just kind of ruminating on this. And mm -hmm. the obvious comparison to me is for anyone who's read Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking, where she is kind of at a similar point in life. Her husband has died. She has lost, you know, someone very close to her and just kind of, you know, ruminating on the changes in life that happen and how to move forward. It's uh, Patty's memoir is very, very similar to that. It's also okay. very short <laughs> and it's also really lyrical. So again, for those of you who just think, you know, punk rockers can't write, I wanted just to write a very, um, or read a very short passage here where she's talking about Sam Smith and you know she often writes in a kind of like train of thought kind of way so you kind of you're getting inside her mind and hearing her thoughts as, as she puts them on page so she has recently just come back from meeting with Sam and uh, is sitting back in her own apartment and uh, I'll just read this sentence this this couple of paragraphs here so a few days after I got home I received a small parcel and note from Sam's sister Sam had sent his pocket knife along with my horse winnings wrapped in newspaper I placed the knife in a glass cabinet next to my father's coffee cup in the days that followed I felt tired and uncertain not my usual way at all I reasoned I was just at a low point maybe fighting off a cold and deciding to do nothing the 30th of May was Joan of Arc's feast day, traditionally a day of enforced optimism. I was still feeling low and my cough escalated, yet I had the impression something was bubbling underneath, that something was going to happen like the birth of a poem or a small volcano erupting. That night I had a dream, one that seemed more gift than dream, medicinal and pure, like an untainted Arctic stream. In the dream, we were alone in the kitchen and Sam was telling me of the heat of, in the center of Australia, the ruby glow of Ayers Rock, and how back then, in the day as he called it, before they had resorts, he went there alone without a guide by Jeep and saw it for himself. A spool of memory like a grainy home movie unwound and we watched as he got out of the jeep and commenced his forbidden climb he gathered the tears of the aborigines they were black not red and he slid them into a small worn leather pouch like the gree gree pouch that fell from the pocket of tom horn when they hanged him for god knows what so a that's really poetic yes you're really inside her mind and you really kind of have to know things she is referencing australia yeah. She's referencing the Aborigines. The Aborigines. Yeah. Tom Horn, if you're curious, yep. was a Wild West gunslinger mm -hmm. who was hanged for killing almost two dozen people, I think. Um, you know, and this is just all the backstory she shared with Sam Shepard that comes out in just this really short passage. It's a book I really recommend it. You know, it's rare for memoirs from older people to be so poignant and forward thinking mm -hmm. in the end. I won't give anything more away, but um, I really just enjoyed it. And I think you guys will too. You'll find it in the library. You said that this was like a recent memoir. Yeah. You rec you mentioned Just Kids. Do mm -hmm. you have to read Just Kids in order no, to... No, not at all. All of her memoirs can so, be read separately. Okay. But you'll find those. If you pick one up, you'll want to read the other the two, others. whichever yeah. one you, you start with.
But the common factor that this memoir has with the other book I just wanted to talk about briefly is old people, people in old <laughs> age. Um, like us. Like us. Like people much older than us. So the other book <laughs> that I read that's also out this month is called Live a Little by Howard I, Jacobson. I like it already. Jacobson, you, Jacobson, you might um, recognize he uh, won an award for his book, The Finkler Question. He's a English literary novelist, so he's not as big in the States as he is in the UK and elsewhere. And this novel is a very literary novel, but it's full of English wit and wisdom <laughs> and humor. And um, again, without giving anything away, it centers around a group of people who are in their 80s and 90s who are not at all done with life. And just awesome. the hijinks of um, a number of single women of in that circle of, of people in London who are all fixated on snagging this guy named Shimi. Um, who's an older man <laughs> and how he's dealing with all of it. It's not a two-dimensional story. It's not an episode of Golden Girls. These, these characters are treated with a lot of thought and seriousness, and they are very three-dimensional, and they are very forward-looking people. They're not people just totally reminiscing in the past like so many um, older characters are written. So I really recommend Live a Little by Howard Jacobson. Again, that will be in the library or your local bookstore, the Bookie Joint, Spellbinder. Mm -hmm. Mono Lake Committee up in Levining might have these. Um, we'll put the titles on our website. In our show notes. But real yep. quickly again, they are Bear Town, Year of the Monkey, and Live, Live a little. little. Yeah. So readers, if you check those out, let us know what you think and let us know what you're reading now. Take a breath. We'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. Originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California, you can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We are so honored today to have with us Sheriff Ingrid Braun, Mono County Sheriff. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Thanks morning, for having Ingrid. me. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate the time because I know you're very, very busy. Mm, I am and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so Ingrid, something we always ask our guests, what is the adventure that brought you to Mono County? So... My husband and I are avid skiers. I, I married a ski racer and I got sucked into becoming one myself. And for a long time, I skied very fast, but very poorly. And then <laughs> I joined the master's program and I got to be a pretty good ski racer. I've heard myself. you are a very good ski racer. I'm okay for a 52-year-old woman. Um, <laughs> I'm no Olympic athlete, but I do all right. So we bought, we came up to Mammoth all the time. We lived in LA. We were both working LAPD. And we were here all the time. So we eventually bought a condo with a couple of other, with a fireman and another policeman. And then we bought our own condo with the goal of being that we could retire here as okay. soon as we could. And so as soon as we could, which was when Mike turned 50 and I had more than 20 years on the job, I was 42, 43. Wow. We retired from LAPD and moved here full time. Wow. Excellent. Nice. Yep. And and have, has it lived up to all of your expectations? It has. We The first winter we were here full time was 10-11, which was a big winter. Big. Yeah. But we were in our condo, so the snow removal wasn't that much of a, a <laughs> drama. And then when we bought a house with a great wraparound deck, which 
requires a lot of snow removal. We've had a couple of big winters since then. Oh, yeah. But we love it. Do you shovel or do you hire someone? Oh, I shovel. Yeah. I right. shovel and blow the, push the snowblower. And uh, I actually, at the beginning of the season, yeah. I enjoy the shoveling. Yeah. yeah. It's a great workout. Yeah. It is. But after a long winter, whew. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm responsible for our upper deck outside of our bedroom. That's my area to shovel because we have a very long uphill driveway yeah. oh. that my husband uses a little mini snowplow for. But I'm I do I'm with you. At the beginning of the season I yeah. like it, but you feel like you're accomplishing something, you can look back on your work. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know? And I, then we do hire someone to do the driveway. We have a very right. large driveway and we pay for yeah. that for sure. Yeah, have a professional do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's worth every penny. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting, Ingrid. Stacy and I were chatting about what questions we should ask the sheriff of Mono County when they arrive, apart from us being on our best behavior. Um, we're you know, trying. We're trying. <laughs> we are starved. Uh, <laughs> the guest on the episode previous to this was Tim Alpers, who talked about growing up in the county, you know, when it was just this side of the Wild West. Right. So what's it like being like the sheriff of Mono County, which is still not too far from the Wild, the Wild West. West. What's a typical day like in your life? Every day is different because yeah. it just depends. People are different and so they throw different things at you because um, we're in a people business. We yeah. deal with people at, at their best and generally at their worst or when they're put into a worse situation. So every day is different. I I go to board of supervisors meetings. I go to a lot mm -hmm. of meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I pe people ask, what do you do? You must be so busy. You do so much. And I said, I actually do anything. I go to meetings, I answer emails, and occasionally I make decisions. But I empower people to go out and do good things. <laughs> <laughs> my job is to give my deputies all the tools that they need to go out and do good work. Right. So make sure that they have the right equipment, that they have the right training, that they have the right uh, mentality for working out here because working out here is totally different than working in a big city. In what way? Well, big cities have big crime and lots more people. And mm -hmm. uh, in law enforcement, you have a lot of partners. Mm -hmm. You have backup that's right around the corner here. Your backup could be an hour away. Yeah. Right. So it's a different attitude you take when approaching situations and also it's more homey we know each other we know yeah. everybody and how we deal with people and i gotta tell you our deputies are fabulous at dealing with people and knowing the people that they're talking to and who needs a ticket and who needs a warning mm -hmm. and who did something stupid and who needs to go to jail mm -hmm. sometimes they don't have a choice but a lot right. of times they do have discretion and they know how to use their discretion and how to talk to people and how to explain why they're doing what they're doing and mostly I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time I get compliments on the work that's done yeah. out there. That's wonderful. It is. It makes me super happy. Given the size of our count, our geographic size of our county, do you have a fairly large force of no, people? I have a very small force of people. I have, um, if I were fully staffed, I'd have 27 sworn and then another 25 or so civilian mm -hmm. jail side. So total mm -hmm. about 50 but I'm not fully staffed. Okay. I'm down probably five deputies right now. Wow. And so we've got 3,000 plus square miles to cover and yep. there's maybe two or three guys out there to do it, yeah. more girls. Uh, so it's a lot of work and a lot of ground to cover. So yeah. it sometimes we get complaints that it took too long to get there. And my answer to that is, well, you chose to live far from services, so. <laughs> <laughs> we all did, yeah. You, yeah. Guess what, you're far from services. Mm -hmm. So if, right. you want, if you want a faster response time, no, move to a big city. 
You know, it's interesting, Stacey and I were talking about a book in the previous segment about that takes place in a small town in a rural area and about how you often in a smaller area, you have to work through issues with the people you're engaging with. And those community relationships are really, really key. And like you, I came from a big urban environment recently. So I'm kind of going through that now. Like, you know, something comes up, that relationship you have with the person you're dealing with is as important as the solution itself, right? Or can yeah. lead to it. It does. And there's a lot of partnering that goes on with other county entities, with other law enforcement. We, in big cities, you don't see CHP and the local law enforcement working together. Here, uh, we are partnered. Yeah, mm -hmm. We back each other up. If I see a CHP officer on a stop, I'll stop and make sure that that officer's okay. They'll do mm -hmm. the same for us. They go to calls for us. We go to calls for them. We do the same with Forest Service, with everybody. We all work together and we know all the partners yeah. so that when something goes sideways, we're all there. Yeah. So what was the most unexpected thing about this job when you came up here from LA? So, well, how I came to be here is a very different story. That I don't know if we need. <laughs> um, it was, it was uh, not, I did not expect to be the sheriff of Mono County. I did really? not come here to be the sheriff of Mono County. I came here to be retired. And then through some twists and turns, I got talked <laughs> into running for sheriff. Uh, it's not a story that we need to tell now, but I ended up, running for sheriff and I was somewhat recruited by people in the community to do that. And it wasn't expected that I would win because Mono mm -hmm. County is still very rural yeah. frontier. Um, and I was told, uh, I love you sister, but you're not going to win. A woman can't win in Mono County, Wow! but I did. And I'm here and it's, I, the best way to explain it is it's nowhere I expected to be and exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. So it's excellent. Nice. Are you, are you the first woman, female sheriff in Mono County? Oh, yeah. I was the second female ever to work uh, in the field at Mono County is on the patrol side. Wow. So we don't have a long history. I do have another female deputy now that uh, she's spectacular. She was one of our dispatchers, and she left us to uh, before I was sheriff to go to another agency and then came back. I hired her back. Nice. And we're super happy to have her here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's it's just nice to have the balance. Women yeah. bring something to law enforcement, a, a different way of approaching things. We mm -hmm. engage, we talk our way through things more. We're not afraid to use force, but mm -hmm. that's not our go-to. Right. Yeah. Are the most of your your force? Are they most of them? Did they grow up here? Are they transplants? I got about half and half. Okay. I have guys that grew up here that mm -hmm. know everybody. I have the two Pelachowski boys. Okay. They know everybody everywhere <laughs> in the Imagine county. they would. And they are the only two that are allowed to patrol a boat on Mono Lake because that's wow. a difficult lake to, to go out on. They are skilled. And then I have people that have big city experience that came from Riverside County okay. or San Bernardino or other bigger agencies. And then after a couple of years said, I want to settle down someplace where mm -hmm. it's a little slower, where I can raise my family. So I have a mix. Yeah. And it's a good mix because... It's good to have the local kids, mm -hmm. yeah, but they don't have any experience if yeah. they've never worked in right. a big city because we don't have a lot of things to experience here. When we do have things, they're few and far between. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, like I worked LAPD. I worked. I ran a gang unit in Pacoima. We had <laughs> awesome. a homicide wow. every week. Here we yeah. have a homicide every ten years. Yeah, yeah. So, which is great. Don't get me wrong on that. I'd is, rather have. That. Is that changing at all? You know the the rate of 
crime, if you will, or is it is it getting, you know, it seems like we have more and more visitors here every year. Does that change the the rate of Not crime? that I've noticed. The visitors, even if they're, say, gang members, mm-hmm. they go on vacation too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds silly, but they do. They go on vacation. They're not coming up here to commit crime. They're here to hang out with their family. Most of the problems that we have with visitors are what you have in resort town. People get drunk mm-hmm. and stupid and yeah. they do silly mm-hmm. things. Or uh, we get a lot of altitude sickness or illnesses mm-hmm. and okay. related to altitude. Sure. People aren't expecting they live at sea level. If you have a heart condition at sea level, you probably shouldn't come up to 8,000 right. feet. Right. right. So we get a lot of that. But we don't. they don't bring a lot of crime with them. They bring some of the nuisance stuff. Yeah. Um, they drive too fast. Yeah. And they drink too much. Yeah. But there's not a ton of crime. So it's, That's good. it's a good thing. Um, it's interesting. You just mentioned something I wouldn't have thought of. Boat patrols. So you have, you cover the lakes too. Like what... Is it like nuisance crimes on water? What do you guys Most do? of what we do on the boat is an education piece. Make okay. sure people have their flotation devices. Make uh, okay. sure they're not okay. going too fast on the water. Make okay. sure that the kids are well taken care of, that they're not drinking and boating. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. But we do. We have Crowley Lake, June Lake, yeah. um, Topaz Lake, which is split between us and Nevada. Oh, wow. And we'll go out on Mono Lake, not to patrol, but mostly for rescues, because there's going to be somebody that says, oh, I think I'll... I'll kayak out to Poha Island. Yeah. <laughs> and then the wind kicks up and right, they can't, and get, they back. can't get back. Yep. So we'll go pluck them off of there. We also have, we have search and rescue. We have mm-hmm. um, OHV patrols. So we have razors and side-by-sides mm-hmm. and in the winter, mm-hmm. snowmobiles. We got yes. on a snowmobile oh, wow. patrol and we have okay. a snowcat and we have all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, it sounds like a recruiting lots video of, for lots working of toys. Right? Yeah. <laughs> for the yeah. County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the snowcat we have used quite a bit. We got really? a new snowcat a couple of years ago, and we've put that to use, especially last winter. And we use it to help other county agencies as well. Sure. Say we need to get up to our radio tower to fix mm-hmm. something. Well, take the snowcat. It's great. That's great. Yeah, very cool. So, Ingrid, what are you reading now? What am I reading right now? I just I listen to books, which I never used to do. I kind of mm-hmm. used to snub my nose at that. I wanted the actual reading of a book. I don't even like eBooks. I want the turning of the pages. But I drive a lot. Yeah. So I started listening to books. And I just finished John Muir's First Summer in the Sierra, listening to that. Wonderful. Which is great when you're driving through yeah. the Sierra and yeah. you can look at things. It even, it inspired me to do a couple of hikes. I said, oh, I want to see that the yeah. way he saw that. Right. It's spectacular. And the book that I'm reading uh, wasn't a book of choice. It was given to me by my mom. It was The Tea Girl of, hum- Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane, I think, of mm-hmm. uh, um a girl that was given up for adoption by a, a Chinese um, tea farmer, I mm-hmm. guess is the oh, best wow. word for it. And I'm only halfway through it, so I don't know how it turns out. Okay. Is it a novel? So it is. Yeah, it's okay. a novel. Yeah. And are you enjoying it so far? I am. I didn't think I would. It's one of those, you know, somebody gives you a book. And <laughs> right. I kind of feel obligated to read it. And I'm one of those people that feels obligated to finish a book, even if oh. I'm not enjoying oh. the book. Yeah. Stacy's one of those. I, yeah. I am. I'm trying to reform myself. I have no mercy. 50 pages and I'm done if you haven't caught me. Yeah. This life is too short, Ingrid. Yeah, this is true. I did just finish a book. I sat all day and read it. I had just one quiet day. It was called I Miss You When I Blink. And it's a series of essays by Laura. I can't think of her last name. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. It It's a series of essays just about parenting and which is interesting Mm because I'm not a parent, but... um, Mm -hmm midlife crisis, Mm -hmm. um, finding your way, finding out who you are. 
and I really enjoyed it so much that I sent her an email. I went on her website mm-hmm. and I oh, sent her wow. a contact. And within half an hour, she emailed me back and said how that brightened her day. That's great. So I love her even more. That's uh, Isn't that exciting? Yeah. I've had that occasion yeah. to email authors and I, I'm always shocked when they respond. Yeah. Authors are people they too. They do. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. And, and many actually, many nonfiction authors don't get, get that, that kind much. of feedback. Yeah. 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 So that's that's really great. Well, Ingrid, thank you so yeah, much for joining us for today. Joining this us. was great. We hope yeah. you'll come back again. I'd love to. And we will put links in our show notes on our website to the books that Ingrid mentioned. And the Mono County and Sheriff's the Mono County Office. Sheriff. They can find yes. out more information. Anyone who wants a job up here in the wintertime. Right. Yeah. It's a good gig. Riding snowmobiles and working mm-hmm. with you. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. So thank you listeners for joining us with another episode of Oxygen Starved, your adventures of books and conversation at 11,000 feet, which this episode really was at 11,000 feet. Um, we invite you to find out more. You can find show notes from this episode on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. And check out our Instagram page, O2Starved. O2Starved is our Instagram feed. We also do also have the Facebook page. We do ask you if you find us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, rate us, give us comments. It helps other people discover the podcast. And we have a few good ratings so far. So we're hoping for more. And yeah, see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.